0: Let me tell you what a what a joy and what a privilege it is for me to be here this morning. My name's Chris Elliott, and that's been one of my one of my hopes and uh, just dreams for a long time is to be able to preach the same service that my son is helping to lead worship in. And so, love you, Dad. Uh, yeah, I love you too. And my name is uh, is Chris Elliott, and I'm a uh, one of the pastors at Logos Community Church in in Harlingen and so I know Marco is out of town so it's an honor for me to be uh, here with you this morning to uh, to be able to share from God's word. I, I know what uh, the weight of responsibility that that carries and so I take that serious as I know Marco does and so it is great to be back with uh, with Storehouse, we love Storehouse. Pray for you guys often. Uh, And so, let me just kinda lay the the groundwork for this morning. Uh, I wanna try to accomplish three things with our time this morning. Uh, I want to provide kind of an overview of the book. I think that's gonna be important as we kinda understand the whole book, Song of Songs. That's going to lead right into us being able to understand how our particular passage fits within the whole book, and I want to unpack it and provide some very practical tips on intimacy. And then I want to conclude our time this morning by anchoring everything that we talk about. I want to anchor that in the gospel. So join me in prayer as as we get started. Lord Jesus, I I have been reminded all too often the last last few months of uh, my weakness, my frailty, my deep need. But Lord, everybody in this room is in that same place of frail, of being in deep need the only remedy is the gospel, it's you. We are in need of you this morning, Lord Jesus. There, there are some that are, that are coming this morning out of broken relationships with no hope, not knowing what to do. There are some that are, that are single, that are struggling with temptation and, and, and looking for that very thing to hold on to, to, to motivate them towards gospel, godly behavior. There are some that just had very, very difficult weeks, very discouraging, frustrating, painful weeks. And so, Lord, we, we need you this morning, we do. I need you. So Lord, would you grip our hearts with your word? Would you guide our hearts, Lord, by your spirit this morning? Would you meet us in our place of need, our weakness? Lord, convict us if necessary. Encourage us, Lord. Apply the balm of the gospel to us in our place of need today. And Lord, we ask most of all that you would guard all that we do this morning and that you would do it for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So one, uh, one fateful day, 27 years ago, I, I headed out of uh, my parents' house on my way to go pick up my buddy to play some basketball. Now, if, if you know me, I love basketball. Now, back in the day, I, I thought I was a pretty good basketball player, thought I was a pretty good player, <laughs> keyword there, but I lived for basketball. I loved to play basketball. I would play as often as I could. I would try to find the best players that I could play against. I, my whole world really did seem to revolve around basketball. So, getting to my buddy's house, which just so happened to be five houses down. For me, that was really convenient. I was thinking, man, this is gonna be a great day. You know, my, my buddy Sean is gonna answer the door and I was pleasantly surprised when this smoking hot young woman answers the door instead. It's the first time I would ever laid eyes on this chick. First time ever. And so walking up to that door, my whole day had been planned around playing hours and hours and hours of basketball. I was gonna play basketball all day long. And then when, when this smoking hot young woman answers the door, all of a sudden, I forgot how to play basketball. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't dribble in that moment. I couldn't shoot a basket in that moment. I had forgotten everything. I was completely blown away by this woman. And in that, that moment, that very first, very awkward encounter, I just knew that I had found the love of my life. I just knew it. The, the one that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, without question. Our very first date was to a pool hall. And of course, being a gentleman, I let her win. I wanted to see the smile on her face. But over the course of, of the next year... As we dated, as we got engaged, as we eventually got married, over the course of those, those very first few, I could not get enough of this woman. I couldn't get enough of her. I wanted to see her every day. I wanted to talk with her every day. I wanted to be in her presence every day. I would write her some of the, the goofiest poems. I would do all sorts of, of very weird and crazy things just trying the very best that I could to express how much I loved this woman. I mean, there was, there was passion, there was creativity, there was pursuit. I was infatuated with this woman. I just couldn't get enough of her. And it was, it was the kind of intimacy, you know, where we didn't even really have to be doing anything I mean, just being in her presence, that's all that it took. Just being in her presence was enough to satisfy me. I loved, I adored, I absolutely cherished Christine. And that's only deepened over the past 25 years that we've been married. I love her more today. It's hard to believe as much as I was blown away and loved her back then, I love her more today. It's precious, it's sweeter. Our intimacy has grown deeper and so has our love. Now, I'm definitely, if you had read some of those very goofy, weird poems that I had penned all those years ago, I'm definitely not gonna try to stand up here and compare myself to Solomon. But I think we do, if we take a step back and look at this whole book, The Song of Solomon's, we really kind of see the same thing going on with Solomon and his bride-to-be. We find two people in love, this Solomon and his wife-to-be. There's wonder and there's excitement of this relationship. It's filled with love. It's filled with admiration. They know they're gonna spend the rest of their life together. They're gonna have a future together. So they set the date. there's this, this excitement and this buildup of anticipation on the big wedding day. The big day arrives, they get married, you know there's that wonderful ceremony with all the, the sounds and sights and smells and tastes, just all of the sensations that will forever be permanently imprinted into their minds of their special wedding day. Later on they consummate the marriage. These, these two individuals now have become one flesh. There's, there's love in the air and, and if you, can, you can almost hear like angels singing. But you know what, our, our poetic story doesn't end there. Because you know what, one day the honeymoon, it's over. Uh, married life begins, it sets in. Tensions rise, problems surface. Differences set in, expectations between two partners aren't met, schedules, they just don't align up, rhythms, these relational rhythms are are no longer in harmony like they used to be. Something's out of balance, and so what happens? Conflict happens, as it does in all relationships. That's what happens in our story in the Song of Solomon, In chapter five, our our bride seems to be having this dream and it's a dream about the conflict that she's having with her husband. So he comes to the door. He, He shouts out multiple terms of endearment. I mean, he loves her, is infatuated with her. He wants to come in and be with her. He wants to make love to her. So he's just begging for her attention. But how does she respond? She responds with indifference. She she responds with, hey, Solly, baby, I'm just, I'm not in the mood tonight. I've had a long day, I'm already dressed for bed. I don't wanna be inconvenienced, I'm ready to go to sleep. Hey, can't this wait? Hey, can't we just do this later? Solomon's no dummy, he gets the hint. He he doesn't continue to push, he he stops his pursuits. Eventually he leaves and, and almost immediately she realizes what, what she's done. That she has has just sent away the love of her life and, and she begins to feel bad. And so she she gets out of bed, she gets dressed. She went looking for him, but it was a little too late because he's already gone. He's left. And so she's frantically looking for him, searching for him. She's upset, she feels terrible, feels guilty. And so she's out searching, and and as she's out searching, the watchmen of the city, they they find her and they begin to beat her, just kind of representing. Man, she is in in, an emotional turmoil. She's an emotional basket case. She's a wreck at what she's done. It's a a painful struggle as she realizes what has happened and, and what she's done to the love of her life. The conflict is all because love was refused. Love was rejected. In chapter six, our, our bride finally catches up to him. The love of her life used to be lost, but now he's found. They, they reconcile back. That's a beautiful picture. I love that. They reconcile back to each other. Healing's obviously taken, pra- uh, taken place in the relationship. This is how she puts it. She says, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. Beautiful. Beautiful. Intimacy, intimacy in that relationship's been restored. What what a story, right? I mean, isn't that a good story? Man, that that is such a great ending to a really, really good story. I mean, they, they go on living happily ever after, right? In love, holding each other tightly, glaring into each other's eyes as they go riding off on horseback into the sunset? Is that how our story ends? No, it doesn't end there. we still got two chapters to go. That's not the end of our story and I'm so thankful that our story doesn't just end there. I'm so thankful that we're not just given an idealistic picture of what a perfect marriage should look like. Now, now don't get me wrong, we need that picture, we need that model, but we also need the, the realistic picture of how to build and, and how to protect and how to deepen that kind of intimacy that we see with King Solomon and his bride. Because our tendency is, hey, once that conflict is over, once intimacy has been restored, once the the tension of the conflict is gone, our tendency is to fall right back into the rut of serving self and taking each other for granted. So hopefully what we're gonna see here this morning is how to continue to stoke the fires of romance. How can we we maintain and keep that deep, that abiding kind of intimacy in our marriages? And men, I'm just gonna go ahead and warn you ahead of time. It starts with us. It has everything to do with us. We set the tone. How we think about our wives, how how we speak to and talk to our wives, and how we speak about our wives. Our passage this morning is a really long one. Very thankful Marco did that to me. It is Song of Solomons, chapter six, verse four, and we're gonna go all the way to chapter seven and verse nine. But what I'm gonna do is I'm actually gonna break it up into three different sections that we're gonna look at. Our first section this morning is Song of Solomon, chapter six, verse four through verse 10. Follow along as we read God's word. You are beautiful as Terza, my love. Lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn away your eyes from me for they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ooze that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. Not one among them has lost its young. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. But my dove, my perfect one, is the only one. The only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. A young woman saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines also, and they praised her. Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? All of, of these poems, through all of them, we, we hear the, the beautiful symphony of desire and passion as, as King Solomon and his bride, as they love each other and they share their admiration to each other. That's what we see, Song of Solomon. I'm sorry. That's what we see Solomon doing here in this first section. He, he's actually what he's doing is he's repeating something that he's already said back in chapter four, and he's describing her in a very similar manner. Now, in Hebrew poetry, which is what we have here, anytime somebody repeats something, it's it's because they're doing it for emphasis. They're doing it for effect. And so today what we would do, if we wanted to emphasize something, we would put it in like 86 fonts, it would be bold, we would underline it, we'd get out the highlighter and highlight it, we would have arrows pointing to it, we would do everything we can to draw everybody's attention that hey, this is important, I'm really trying to emphasize this. And so what he's doing is he is emphasizing, Solomon is emphasizing everything that he finds attractive about his bride. He starts with, you are as beautiful as Terza, lovely as Jerusalem. Now be honest with me, does that sound kind of strange? Comparing somebody to a city? I mean, it would be like me saying, hey Christine, may you are as hot as McAllen. It just sounds, now I could probably get away with that because it really is hot here in McAllen. But I mean, you get my point, it's a little bit weird. Doesn't sound very romantic, not, not until you understand that Terza was known throughout the ancient world as being a majestic city to look at. Especially when you were at a distance and you were approaching this city, it was majestic to look at as you were traveling towards it. And it was such an important city that, that for about a 50 year span of time, it became the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And he says, Jerusalem, that, that city that sits on a hill, that's surrounded by mountains, that's described all through scripture for its stunning beauty. Solomon is saying it, that his wife in his eyes is absolutely beautiful to look at and breathtaking, just as breathtaking and majestic as these two cities were that were known for their beauty and all of their glory and all of their stunning beauty. That's how he views his wife. He's saying that she is the center and focus of all of his affections. He continues, you are as awesome as an army with banners. Now today's military is is just a little bit different than the militaries were back in Solomon's day. Now think with me just for a second, what would it have been like if we had been on the opposite side of a field looking at the world's most powerful military at that time? Think about what it would have been like. As you are hearing the chants, the, the yells of intimidation, the horses are all lined up, Bits are in their mouth. Archers have their flaming arrows. The men are dressed for battle. Their swords, their helmets, their shields, they're all glimmering in the midday sun. Every one of them standing under the king's banner, ready to fight to the death. That is an awe inspiring sight inspiring. That's what Solomon is saying. Hey, just thinking about you, just seeing you is an incredible sight to behold in my mind. It actually melts my heart. I can't help but continue to look at you even though sometimes it may be a little terrifying just like that army. I can't help because I am so captivated by you. He continues and he says, Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. We don't normally talk like this. Again, for me to talk like this sounds really strange to the one that I love, because we don't really understand it. We we don't see the, the poetic imagery here that's really incredible. He's not saying that, hey babe, your hair smells like a wild animal. He's not saying that your hair is as coarse and as rough as goats hair. You see, goats in this part of the world, not like goats that we are familiar with today, goats in this part of the world were black in color. And so what he's saying is that hey, when the wind blows or as you move and turn your head, the the movement of your, your black and shiny and beautiful hair, it reminds me of a flock of goats as they gracefully move down the side of a mountain. A a beautiful spectacle, a sight to behold as they move with such ease. You ever see like on the Discovery Channel as these goats or wild animals are going down this extremely steep mountain? They do it with such grace, with such ease, with such beauty, never having a misstep, never losing their balance. And so he's saying, wow, you are graceful. You are beautiful to look at as you move. Continues, your teeth are like a flock of ewes coming up from the washing, bearing twins. Again, this sounds really strange. You would think I'm really weird if I said, hey babe, you're really cute because you got nice teeth. That just sounds strange, but keep in mind, they didn't have dentists back then. And so to find somebody that had a full set of teeth, much less pearly white and beautiful teeth, that was rare back then. So, what he's saying is, hey, you, babe, you, you are a rare find. You, you are a rare treasure, a, a rare beauty, a rare and priceless find. He continues that your cheeks are like pomegranates. I mean, Solomon, as he is looking at his wife, he doesn't leave anything out. Everything about her is beautiful to him. By describing her cheeks like pomegranates, he's not saying that you've got really coarse and rough skin. He's saying, man, your beautiful complexion, it's rosy, it's red, it's gorgeous. You've got this glow about you. He says, 60 queens and 80 concubines and countless virgins. But my dove, my perfect one is the only one. Young women call her blessed. Others going to praise her. Now, notice the, the sharp contrast that we see here. She is more important, more valuable, more precious than 60 queens. More so than 60 queens queens she is more important more valuable than all these concubines more important more valuable than countless virgins he's trying to say that hey my bride the love of my life she is without equal she is the absolute most special person in the world for me without comparison my absolute favorite my priceless treasure and then he hints at another reason why he thinks that she's so beautiful in verse nine he calls her perfect and pure now he's not commenting that that he thinks that she is perfect because her body is a perfect ten he's moving from the external to the internal He's admired her for her external beauty, and what he's doing here is admiring her for her internal beauty. He's talking about her character. He's saying that, hey, the the more time that we've spent together, the more time I've been able to see who she really is, what really makes her tick. I've been able to see what really drives her life. He's saying that, hey, he's come to know this woman that he's married to. He's come to know her as a virtuous woman. Solomon's no fool. He he was brought up and trained the right way. He's no fool. He's he's been after this kind of woman all along, that Proverbs 31 kind of woman. This is what he says in Proverbs 31.30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This is the kind of woman that all women should strive to be like. Whether you're single, whether you're married, women who fear the Lord first and foremost, women who are attractive because they love the Lord and their character reflects it. Single men understand that beauty changes over time, it does. It absolutely does. I can show you the before and after pictures of what's happened over the last 25 years. It's okay to be looking for that one that captures your attention. It's okay to be looking for that one that you'd like to spend the rest of your life with. But more importantly, be looking for that Proverbs 31 kind of woman. The, the one who fears the Lord the one who, who loves the Lord with all of her heart, above all else, even more than she loves you. And be looking for the one who is gonna be able to draw you closer and challenge you to be more like Jesus. That's the kind of woman you need to be after. Single woman. It, it's good to take care of your body, to be in shape, to be as attractive as you can. That, that's great, but don't neglect the health and well-being of your soul. Take care of your, of your character. Take your character seriously. Strive to be that Proverbs 31 woman. Be the kind of woman whose love and pursuit of Jesus is gonna be so compelling that that's what you're known for. Amen. Solomon, he's, he's appreciating this about his wife. He, he knows that eventually the, the external beauty it's gonna change over time. Still attractive in his eyes, sure, but changed over time and so he, he, he admires that his wife is a woman who fears the Lord. That, that she is a woman who is becoming more like God in her character and he sees this coming out in the way that she carries herself and how she lives her life and how she talks, everything that she does, how she acts. He sees God coming out through her character because she loves God first and foremost and is pursuing him. Man, this is is the real kind of beauty that we need to admire. This is the kind of beauty that we really should take great delight in because it's the only kind of beauty that endures. It's the only kind of beauty that doesn't erode, doesn't fade over time. He continues, he says, who is this? Like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners. Solomon ends this, this section, this great song of praise with the rhetorical question. It's like he's looking around and saying, hey, who is this? It's like he's, he's parading around his, his wife. This is the one I'm talking about. I'm shouting it to the world. This is the one that I love. She is majestic in my eyes. This is how I think about her. This is why I love her. This is how I love. She is amazing to me. Just the sight of her makes, makes me feel safer, more secure. She lights up my world. She loves the Lord. She seeks after Him with all her heart. She warms my heart like the sun warms the day. This woman means everything to me. What a commendation. What a commendation he gives for his wife. Man, let me, let me encourage you that, that how, how we think about our wives, how we speak to our wives, directly affects how we build intimacy in our marriage. So how do, how do we do that in a healthy way? Let me give you two points. Number one, remember the why, remember the why. Over time, Solomon's love had grown. His appreciation had grown, his admiration had grown. It had deepened over time. The longer that they had been together, the better that he had come to know his bride, the better that he came to know her, the more that he loved her, the more that he loved her, the more that he uh, became uh, appreciative of how unique that she was. Now, this is pretty obvious because as you track the flow of what he's got to say about his, his wife in this book, as we go through this book, they're more descriptive and longer. He's come to know his wife. And he loves her more. And he's able to see what makes her so unique. And he appreciates this about her. Solomon remembers the Why? He doesn't forget about what makes her unique, what makes her so lovely, what makes her so special in his eyes. Now unfortunately, over time, it's all too easy to do the opposite, to to forget the why. It's all too easy to begin to take each other for granted, to, to begin to focus on self, because life sets in, schedules get busy, kids arrive, or four kids arrive in our case. I mean, it just happens. It just happens, right? It happens if we let it. Don't forget what's drawn you to her. Don't forget what it is about her that so stirs you. Remember the why. Number two, remind her of the why. It's not enough just to remember. Reminder and do it as often as you can. That's what Solomon does. There are lots of fish out there in this sea of life, but his bride is unique. His bride is set apart, very special in his eyes. Remind your bride what makes her unique. Tell her why she's so beautiful. Let her know what makes her so special to you. Express it in any creative way that you can. It doesn't really matter how you express it, but just show it. Show it with gifts, show it with your words. Just do it. Make it meaningful. Don't leave it in doubt. Don't let her sit there and wonder. Take the time to figure out what makes her feel so loved. Take the time to figure out what her love language really is, why you adore her. What draws you to her? Reminder of that as often as you can. Figure it out and then reminder. And don't stop doing it. We help to build intimacy in our marriage when we remember the why and we remind her of the why as often as we can. Our passage continues in chapter six, verse eleven to thirteen. He said, I went down to the nut orchard to look at the blossoms of the valley, to see whether the vines had budded, whether the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I was aware, my desire set me among the chariots of my kinsman, a prince. Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon you. Why should you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance before two armies? So Solomon, he's, he's been steady at it. My man Solomon's been hard at work. He's helping to build the intimacy in his marriage. He's done that by remembering the why and reminding her of the why. This is her response. She says, I went down to the nut orchard looking, seeing if the pomegranates were in view. His words, his words have had the desired effect. He's come along and once again he has swept her away. He's taken her breath away. He's made her to feel so loved, so special that what it's done is it has aroused her sexual desires for him. Now earlier in in Song of Songs, the nut orchard represented that special place where intimacy could be physically expressed and enjoyed in private. His words have come along and swept her off her feet. And now she's looking for him, so they can enjoy some some intimate, uh, romantic time together. She says, my desire set me among the chariots of my kinsmen, a prince. She's expressing the impact of Solomon's words. She just couldn't help her, she's beside herself, she just couldn't help it. That's what romance does. It's a natural response of the heart. A natural response, when the one we love is reminded of why we love them. Man, let me encourage you that that your words really do matter. They really do. Your woman, every woman, let me put it like that, every woman wants what Solomon's doing. They want that. They, they, They wanna be thought of like that and they wanna be talked to like that from their husband regardless of how long you've been together. There are too many distractions out there in the world. Too much discouragement out there around every corner. Too many deceptions lurking around trying to capture the attention of your wife. Don't let them wonder. Don't let them forget. Whether you've been married for six months or you've been married for 25 years, our wives want to be reminded They need to be reminded of why you love them and why they're so special to you. Remind them of why you love them and remind them how much that you love them. They want to hear it and they need to hear it. So what happens? What happens when we um, passionately pursue and love our wives like that? What's, What's the result? The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter five, and he does it by by using the comparison of how Jesus loves his church. This is what he says in Ephesians five, verse 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So the Apostle Paul comes along and he says, hey men, if if you will love your wives like that, if you will passionately and sacrificially pursue them and love them like that, just like Jesus did with his church, the, the result is that she will become more beautiful. That's what he's saying. She's gonna become more beautiful, more holy. She's gonna carry herself with more splendor. She is gonna be more like Jesus. Man, what, what an incredible promise that we have. Loving and pursuing our wives is the best investments that we can make, without question, because we directly benefit when we do it well, when we do it consistently, and when we do it sacrificially. The result is that our wives will become more beautiful. So this is, this is how chapter six finishes. It, it finishes with, return, return, O Shulamites, that we may look upon you. Why would you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance before two armies? So let's, let's capture this. He's pursuer He's loved her, he's reminded her of his love, she's been swept off her feet, and now what we do is we find these two lovebirds, we find them enjoying some playful banter back and forth. They're they're teasing each other, They're, they're flirting with each other. This is romance at its best, that's what we see here. We see romance. At its best, two people in love, enjoying intimacy, enjoying each other's presence. And that leads us to our final section this morning Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 1 to 9. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter! Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon, by the gate of bath Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. O may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine if it goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. And so, earlier in in our passage this morning, earlier in the Song of Songs, Solomon, he's talking about how beautiful that his wife was. He's going into great detail about all the things that made her stand out in his mind. Comparing her to to some of the most graceful, some of the most awesome, stunning, majestic, royal things of his day. She is beautiful both inside and out. Now, what Solomon does is he shifts gears. Not, Not only does she look beautiful to him, but she completely satisfies him. That's what he's saying. And he uses a completely different set of objects to to compare her to, to to make that point that everything about her, everything about her from head to toe is pleasing to him. How she looks, how she carries herself, how she moves, how she dresses, how she talks, how, how she smells, how she tastes, how she makes love. That's exactly what he says in verse six. He says, how beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. So, so beautiful, yes, but not just beautiful. Everything about her is satisfying to this guy. And she is so satisfying in every imaginable way, from head to toe, from inside and out, that he too has become aroused and excited and he just can't wait to enjoy the fruits of her love. To, to be with her, to enjoy sex with her, to make love to her. So how do we, how do we have that kind of relationship? I mean, how do we build, how do we protect, and how do we deepen our intimacy so that we can have that kind of relationship with our wives? I'm gonna give you four points. Number one, words matter. Words matter, they really do. How you think about, how you talk to, how you talk about your wife really does matter. It matters in public, it matters in private. Do do your thoughts, do your words, do they bring her honor? Do they protect her honor? Do they build her up or do they tear her down? Do they help to build or destroy intimacy in your marriage? Number two, remember and remind. Remember all the reasons why you love her. I mean, take some time. Think about what it is that makes her so special. Recall to memory why she's so unique. And then remind her. Remove any doubts. Tell her and show her as often as you can. Tell her that you love her. Tell her why you love her. Tell her that she satisfies you. Tell her how she satisfies you. Do it as often as you can so that it doesn't leave any possibility for doubt to begin to take shape in her mind. Number three, water your own lawn. Stop looking at everybody else's grass and get to work taking care of your own. If you've been trying to find satisfaction in some inappropriate relationship, hey, stop it, repent of it, and be restored back to your first love. Remember that the same fire that can warm your house can also burn it down. Pleasure and satisfaction are wonderful, and they should be pursued, but they should be pursued the right way and in the right relationship with your wife. If you've been trying to find satisfaction using pornography, hey, stop it, repent of it, and return back to your first love. If it is anything other than the wife that God gave you, whether it's music or books or fantasy, whatever it is, stop it, repent of it, and return back to your first love. Number four, destroy the enemy. Don't let the enemy just limp around on the battlefield. That's not wise. Kill it and kill it quickly. Competition to to our intimacy and our marriage, competition comes in many different forms and it's different for everybody. Perhaps it's a hobby that you have that keeps you out of the house too much. Perhaps it's a relationship that you have that you've allowed to become too loose with the flirting and the touching. Perhaps the mistress is your job. Whatever the competition, the point is identify it and kill it. Don't let it linger. Destroy the enemy or that enemy, whatever it is or whoever it is, is going to destroy your intimacy. And when you do, whenever you finally do destroy the enemy that's trying to destroy the intimacy in your marriage, what it's gonna do is it's gonna free you up to do what you should have been doing all along, which is to pursue and love and find satisfaction in your wife. All through the Song of Songs, we've, we've seen the, the relationship between Solomon and his bride. We've, we've seen it develop and we've seen it evolve in a very beautiful and poetic way. It starts out with two people that are in love and man, they're thinking about each other and they're pursuing each other, admiring and, and praising each other. They've got this wonderful anticipation of, of being together, of spending the rest of their life together. They get married, they, they consummate the marriage but, but then one day, as it does in all relationships, one day, married life sets in. Honeymoon's over the warm fuzzies are gone, problems develop, indifference sets in, selfishness abounds, then we see the beauty of reconciliation, forgiveness is extended, that the fractured relationship is restored, the hurt has been healed, intimacy is renewed and once again enjoyed, and then what we see Solomon doing is he's reaffirming and re-expressing his love for his wife. He reminds her of why she's so beautiful, reminds her of why he loves her, how much he loves her, reminds her of why she's so unique in his mind, and we see that he is delighted and completely satisfied in her love. Do you know what Song of Songs is really all about? It's really just a commentary of Genesis 2.24. Of what it looks like for a husband and a wife to delight in each other, to pursue each other, to love each other, to be satisfied in each other—what it looks like when a husband and wife, when two become one flesh. It's a commentary on that. But is—is is that really just God's primary purpose behind marriage? That we'd have somebody to love, that we wouldn't be alone anymore, but we'd have somebody that, hey, we could share the rest of our life with, somebody we can grow closer to and grow older with, someone that we can enjoy pleasure and satisfaction with? Is it just to have kids? I mean, those things are all good. There's nothing wrong with those things, but Scripture tells us that God has a grand design and a grand purpose for marriage, for your marriage. He tells us in Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 32, he says, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present Going back to Genesis chapter two, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The mystery of marriage is that it was designed by God to bring God glory, but how does it do that? It does that by reflecting the beauty the beauty and wonder of the gospel that that covenant love relationship that Jesus has with his bride the church and men if you will love your wife like that pursue your wife like that work hard to build and protect and deepen your intimacy like that do you know what you're going to have at the end of the day You're gonna have a marriage that better reflects that covenant love relationship that Jesus has with his church. You are gonna have a marriage that was doing what it was designed to do from the very beginning, bringing glory to God by reflecting the gospel to the world around you. That's what we see Solomon doing in Song of Songs. That's what we see God doing even way back in the Garden of Eden. That first marriage was absolutely amazing, could not have been a more perfect wedding and marriage and relationship. Adam and Eve, they were joined together, God being the the very first father of the bride, walking Eve down, giving her to Adam, perfect harmony with each other, perfect harmony with their creator. Conflict arises anyway, even in the midst of that harmonious, perfect, beautiful setting. heart is easily led astray. It's driven by pride. Selfishness is all too often allowed to sit on the throne. The first sin takes place, guilt and shame, poison, the relationship that Adam and Eve have with each other, and it destroys their relationship that they had with God. And in response, the very first thing that they think to do is to run and hide and try to find some figs, sew them together so that they can cover up their sin, their shame, their guilt. And God immediately steps in and he responds by telling them that, hey, what you're doing is inadequate. You can't cover up that on your own. Not in your power, not in your strength, not in your own wisdom. You are incapable. So God slaughters an animal, an innocent animal. He sheds blood. He takes the skin of that animal and he covers Adam and Eve with it. This is the first glimpses of the gospel that we see in the pages of scripture. God doesn't wait until John 3.16, right on the hills of the fall of the very first message of sin in the garden, we see the first glimpses of the gospel. And it would all one day point to Jesus. God would have to provide his own sacrifice because man couldn't provide one for themselves the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, His Son, Jesus, whose blood would be shed, whose body would be broken, sacrificed on the cross. Jesus would live a perfect life, a sinless life, so that He would be the the innocent Lamb, the perfect covering, where God would permanently deal with the sin of His people, with the shedding of His own blood. What Jesus did is He redeemed a people he purchased a bride, the church. That's the gospel. And that's what our marriage is supposed to reflect. That covenant love relationship that Jesus has with his church, with his people, his bride. But sin still happens. In life, it happens in marriage. Disappointments are gonna come. Frustrations are gonna set in. But I'm so thankful That Jesus doesn't reject us when we sin against him. He doesn't respond with anger, with bitterness. He doesn't give us the cold shoulder. He's not looking for ways to get out of the marriage or to get even or to pay us back. He's not looking for a divorce. I'm so thankful that Jesus continues to love his bride, us. He continues to pursue her, He continues to remind her of why he loves her, of how much that he loves her, of how special that she is to him. He continues to be kind, continues to extend grace, continues to show mercy. He's quick to forgive, and he is very, very patient. And when we do that with our wives, continue to love her, continue to extend kindness to her, be gracious to her, be merciful to her, when we are quick to forgive her, being patient with her, having a long range view of our wives and their sanctification, pursuing deeper intimacy, doing all that we can to build and protect and deepen that intimacy, Do you know what we'll have? We will have a marriage where our wife will become more beautiful and we will have a marriage where our marriage will do what it was designed to do by God from the very beginning. Glorify him by reflecting the beauty and wonder of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what what an incredible message. Lord, that in our rebellion against you, in our rejection against you, you have pursued us and loved us in spite of ourselves. God, we have marriages that have been uh, wrecked by sin, relationships that are Lord, have been allowed to be taken to an unhealthy place of selfishness and pride. Lord, thank you that man. we can even open up a a very graphic and sensual passage that we have here in Song of Solomon's and we can see the gospel. We can be challenged by it. We can be moved by it, convicted by it. Lord, I pray that you would use your word to bring healing to relationships, to to bring to the surface areas of sin where, where husbands and wives have sinned against each other. I pray, Lord, that you would give boldness and courage to confess, to repent, restore them back to that first love of, of intimacy and passion and pursuit of each other, God, so that they would have, not just so that they would have a good marriage, Lord, but so that they would have the kind of marriage that would reflect your relationship with your people. That's what our world needs to see. And so, Lord, if you have exposed sin this morning, Lord, I pray that you would give courage so that they would reach out and ask for help, ask for accountability. Lord, we love you, we worship you, we praise you, because Lord, you have loved us so well. Continue to pursue us. Lord, continue to remind us of your love for us. May we be those kind of men in our marriages. And Lord, as we continue to worship you in tithes and offerings. Lord, how can we not but be moved that you gave your very best for us in your son Jesus? And so, Lord, our our time of offering and tithes is a continuation of worship, and so, Lord, I pray that we would be moved. Lord, we would be deeply moved looking to you as someone who had open hands and gave his very best for us. Lord, we want to see your kingdom expanded. We want to see McAllen and the surrounding communities come to know and experience the one true God of the universe. And so, Lord, as we give, I pray that we would give our best sacrificially to you because you've done the same for us. And so, Lord, we love you and we trust you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.